Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Learn to sell. As I mentioned in the beginning, you sell all the time, both in the startup as well as a product manager. So you sell to, in the startup, you sell to investors, you sell to press, you sell to potential hires, you sell to your team members. Now, in, as a PM, you sell to your team because you have to get buy-in from everyone. So you sell to your team, you sell to the partner teams because usually uh, if it's a complex organization, you will be touching other product areas. So you need to get their buy-in as well. You sell to execs. Um, eventually they'll sponsor the product um, or the feature or the project. So you learn to sell. It's a continuous learning that I still uh, think uh, I'm, you know, I'm still learning a lot of how to sell. Uh, one of the key components how we learn to sell is how to tell stories. Uh, so definitely as aspiring PM, uh, you, should, you should try to see how you can craft and tell better stories. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. We build a startup uh, about a famous man. Uh, you jump off a cliff and you assemble an airplane on the way down. Anyone knows who said that? Here? Okay. Um, I, expected, uh, I, I expected that I wouldn't get an answer here. Uh, this is by Reid Hoffman, who, who is the co-founder of LinkedIn as well, uh, and now a venture partner at uh, Greylock. So I'll tell you about the cliff that I had to jump off. Uh, imagine that you are out of your your master's, I, I completed my MBA from UCLA in 2014. And as all of you know, MBA is an expensive stuff. Uh, and so you are out of your savings. And then you, you're on a student visa, being an immigrant. You don't have a funding for the startup and your co-founder says, hey, like, and you have some jobs. So I had like two jobs, one in Japan, one in US, that I was contemplating between joining. And in this situation, my co-founder says, hey, I'm leaving my job. Why don't you join me? And I ask him, do you have any funding? He says, no, I don't have a funding. I said, okay. So that's the kind of cliff you have to jump off. So you say no to the jobs. Uh, you have 90 days uh, before you start a full-time job. You are on OPT, which is uh, those of you who are not aware. OPT um, is the window, time window under which you have to start. It's a one-year uh, one work visa that... Uh, USCIS gives you um, before you before you can apply for uh, an actual work permit, which is through H1B or stuff like that. So that's the kind of cliff you jump off, and then you know you try to uh, build the company on the way till you either bust or you actually build the airplane and you fly down. Uh, the good thing with this is if you jump off the cliff with some friends, it's it's much better. In in my case. Uh, the friend that I had, we built a successful nonprofit together, um, and uh, we've been in touch for more than 10 years. So I knew, and he was living a 
he was jumping off a bigger cliff than mine. So he was, he was a product management director at Salesforce. Um, and he was leaving uh, his uh, job as well. So that gave me some confidence, but still it's a big cliff. Um, so moving forward, uh, some of the lessons, as I said, I'll be sharing some of the stories uh, of like how what I learned at the startup translates uh, into what I'm doing right now. Uh, so this was the core hypothesis that we, we sold to the investors in the beginning. Uh, the hypothesis was most of the people are trying to be healthy and they are using those uh, weight loss apps uh, or weight, uh, weight loss journal apps, which is which help you track your uh, food habits, your exercise habits, things like that. Uh, the hypothesis was if you make it easy, because people were not engaging with those apps, the hypothesis was if you make it easy for you to track uh, those activities or the meals, you'll start engaging in healthy behavior. So that was the hypothesis. Based on that hypothesis, we raised a little over a million dollars um, and uh, we started working towards it. The one mistake that we did is we never spoke with the users. We had the hypothesis and we just like kept building it. We had the money now. We built a team of uh, smart people, engineers and community managers, and we just started building. Uh, one and a half years into the process, uh, we realized that, hey, it's just not working. Our hypothesis is not working. Then at that point, we started talking to the users. Someone told us, hey, like how many users have you spoken with? None. Okay, so let's go and talk to users. The turns out, Tracking is not the problem. The actual behavior is the problem if you want to be healthy. So you need to eat healthy. Uh, you need to work out. And if you're not doing those things, no matter how many stuff you do here, it's just not going to work. Um, so that was the lesson number one is, you know, uh, in the startup that you, you, you start developing. In my case, I started developing that user empathy, um, the need uh, to speak with a user before you start working on a product. Um, and that's one of the key things that you will do as a product manager. Um, if you are a product manager already, you'll know that. If you are transitioning into a product manager, know it that this is one of the key things that you do is to speak with the users. You are the customer advocate in the room. So you'll have a team of people that will be, you know, um, that will pitch different ideas to you. And a product manager, your job is to curate those ideas from the customer perspective. So you are the only customer advocate in the room. So I learned it the hard way, how to develop user empathy. Moving to the next lesson, how to get shit done and learn a lot very, very quickly. Uh, this is one of the articles uh, that got published in Forbes uh, of how we build a data science team without having an actual data scientist. So I know we have two data scientists in the room uh, and uh, I, I really want to be careful how much of data science expertise I show here because you know uh, I can get caught really easily. However, uh, as you know, our core hypothesis was we will make uh, logging easier with uh, the data science. So, and data scientists back then, uh, at least in 2015, 2016, were in very short supply. I don't know what's the situation now. They are still in short supply, um, but we had to do that because we raised money. Our, our whole company was built around that hypothesis. So we started building uh, some of those modules myself. So um, the way I started is like I went to YouTube. Uh, there is a Coursera course, very famous Coursera course by Andrew Young. Um, you, I did that. And then I started playing with the programming uh, and like tuning different models. And eventually we built some of the best data science stuff uh, in weight loss industry back then. So 
what we built was a meal recommendation engine, which meant you would be able to predict what meal a person has most likely eaten for the lunch, breakfast, or the dinner. Uh, we built a meal classifier, which, which classified how, whether the meal that you ate was healthy, uh, neutral, or non-healthy, things like that. So we built a bunch of data science modules, which in the weight loss industry were not prevalent back then. Uh, the, the North Pole for weight loss apps back then was MyFitnessPal, and it had none of that. Uh, models um, in the in the production. So that's when I, you know, uh, a friend of mine asked me to wrote this article, uh, which got picked up by Forbes. Uh, the point here is you learn a lot, and data science is just one application of what I learned, uh, particularly uh, in my case. So I, I, you learn a bunch of other things. Uh, so for example, I learned how to you know, drive app downloads. We had more than 500,000 downloads uh, for our first app, uh, Applause. Uh, so you learn how to drive app download, SEO. Uh, then you learn community, uh, social media marketing. So our even the current Facebook page that we had, it's still active. It, uh, it has more than 7,000 likes. Uh, so things like that. So you, you start learning uh, a lot of stuff which are very horizontal uh, that you usually don't learn um, if you're working for a big company because it's very siloed uh, or uh, it's, it's, vertically, it's vertical in nature while at a startup, uh, at least in my case, it was very horizontal. I learned recruiting, uh, for example, how to interview people and uh, how to sell ideas. So telling stories, uh, you pitch to investors, you pitch to your team members, uh, you pitch to new potential recruits, like all the time. So these are the things you have to learn and you have to get things done. Um, it's very impact focused. And you have to learn it really quickly because time is of essence. Uh, money is running out in the bank. Investors are, uh, you know, looking for updates every quarter. Uh, so it's it's kind of a crucible where you you are, you know, learning right from the fire hose. Moving on. Let's see. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you need to learn uh, you, that I learned. Uh, in my case, is how to make decisions in ambiguous situations. So I was telling the story of this hypothesis that failed. Now, fast forward to two years, I have realized that this idea is no longer working. We have some money in the bank, and we don't know what to do next. Uh, we can't keep doing this. And that's the kind of ambiguous situation, like your team is looking forward to you know, working on the next feature or the next product ramp, whatever you had planned and they will be executing against it. Uh, but now you are thinking of like taking a break and like steering the wheel to some other direction. You don't know what the direction will be. So that's exactly the kind of situation we were in. Uh, the options that we had were, you know, return the money back to investors or keep working on uh, this idea. Or the third option was figure out something new that might be useful uh, to the audience. So you have to make the decisions in, in these kind of ambiguous situations. The good thing with us was we had some inclination. We had a hunch uh, that if we want to uh, actually drive the healthy behavior rather than just the, the, the engagement on the app, what we need to do is to make people more active on the physical front. So we came up with this uh, thought of hypothesis of testing out uh, battle steps. Battle steps is a concept where you pitch two people uh, in a day-long step challenge. Uh, and whoever wins, um, whoever walks the most, moves on to the next uh, round. Um, so we started testing that with friends and families, and we got really good engagement. And then uh, we kept working on it. And you know, eventually, uh, this app became the most uh, 
engaged app in health and fitness category on both App Store and Play Store. Um, we started receiving a lot of uh, positive feedback from the users. Uh, and that's how you learn to create delightful life-changing products. So these are some of the screenshots from Battle Steps. Uh, this is one of my proudest achievements because um, if you are into metrics, uh, the DAU um, by MAU ratio for Battle Steps was above 40%. Um, for the earliest competitor, Fitbit, that number was 23% back then. So yes, so you learn how to create in the whole process uh, although you learn from the fire hose, but you learn to create those delightful life-changing products um, that your users really love, which is the core aspect of what a PM does. You know, as a PM, you try to create products that have an impact, that are delightful to the users, and that are aligned with the company values. In our case, the company value was to make it, uh, make people healthier. That's how uh, whole mission was. So long story short, the startup didn't work out for some other regions. Uh, moving on to LinkedIn. Now, we'll talk about how some of these lessons apply to my day-to-day -day job right now. Um, so here is my first assignment, go figure it out. Uh, when I joined LinkedIn, uh, the team was uh, ending, uh, my specific team was ending its uh, product life cycle. So my first chapter was to go figure it out what the team wants to do next. Um, ambiguity, so I mentioned like how you, you learn to take decisions based on inambiguous situations and you know believe your hunch and develop that hunch actually. That hunch is actually comes out of expertise. Uh, so these are the things uh, you know, um, we learned, uh, I learned actually. So for example, in my case, we, when we started uh, for my team, we had like five projects that my team could take on as a long-term project. And eventually we started the same way I did at the startup, which is to like do some small prototypes. Uh, we did that and uh, eventually now we are working on LinkedIn events, which is the, which is the one of the, which was one of the five products, uh, projects that we were initially thinking about. The second one, get ship done, a fast one. Uh, I talked about how we built battle steps. What I didn't say back then was battle steps was built in over a weekend, um, just the friends and family uh, version. The same applies here as well. So once we decided to go after um, events, uh, we were looking for an event to launch the product to the prototype. So we built that whole prototype to be launched uh, at the next event in less than three weeks. Uh, for a company like LinkedIn, that was unheard of. That's no one, no one ships a prototype in um, three weeks or even a month. Um, so that was where my learning from startup comes in, is you start to ship things at a, a much faster rate uh, because you come from a startup background which is much more agile and you, you have a weekly schedule. So even, uh, even though we shipped in LinkedIn in a relatively very fast way, for me it was frustrating because I was used to shipping uh, on a weekly schedule. So if you go back, uh, I don't know if the App Store listing is still there for applause or battle steps, but if you go back and see if it's still available, we have weekly bills that we have shipped out uh, for all those apps. So that was our cadence and you know, um, if you bring that energy, that excitement and that expertise uh, of how to get, uh, how to ship things at a like fast pace, it's really, really becomes an advantage. Yeah. I'm just wondering, how do, you, how, do you, how do they motivate you to get that speed up 
because if, if there's something that's driving that speed, what is it? It's if I the the question is because I've been told to repeat the question. The question is. How do I motivate people to like work on that speed? Yes, yeah, so that piece comes later, which is the vision and the mission of the product uh, that you are trying to excite the team towards. And it's the speed is not just a function of energy in the team because big companies are relatively slow for a reason, and that reason is there is there are processes built around that. So, for example, uh, in a startup, if you are shipping product, you don't have to worry about legal ramifications. You don't have to worry about security and things like that. In a big company, those things become way more important. So you can't bypass those things. So that's how, so it's a function of the energy in the team and also some of the processes. Uh, the reason we were able to bypass some of that uh, roadblocks in, in, in terms of like speeding us up was we, meant, we said that, hey, it's a prototype. And you know, we don't care about if, if this prototype, you know, remains there or not, because if the, if the experiment is successful at this event, we are going to like build it, rebuild it anyways. So let's not worry about the security and, the, you know, some of the other aspects that you would usually go through. Uh, and, you know, we short-circuited a bunch of those processes. Um, but still, it was a big uh, deal in terms of, like, how quickly you ship things. Any other questions? Sorry, I've been going on. So the next one, as I said, I learned it the hard way at my startup how to talk to users. Um, and at, in my current job, this is the most important thing I do right now, um, is talking to users. And you learn how to talk to users. Uh, with, so in my case, back in the startup days, when we realized we have to talk to users, we we started speaking with some user research, user experience researchers who are, were experts in their field. Uh, there is a really good uh, YouTube uh, course about the, about how to talk to users um, by by Y Combinator. Uh, so they have a course, 15 series course called like how to build a startup. And in one of those uh, lectures, one of the 15 lectures, they talk about how to talk to users. So I would really recommend you to check it out. Um, but the idea is. This is one of the most important things that you do. Uh, for me, like I attend events all the time, like uh, big events, small events, because I'm the product manager on events. Uh, and from like different perspectives, so from the perspective of an attendee, from the perspective of a speaker, from the perspective of organizers. Uh, and although right now I have a team that is actually like better than me in talking to. Um, users and like figuring out the gist of like what the users want, their motivations and the desires. But still, uh, as mentioned, you are the customer advocate, being the product manager. So this is the most important thing you do, and this is what I. This was one of my key learnings um, back from the startup. Moving on, there are some other things as well that I learned um, that are still transferable. Between yeah. Who are your users? Like, the like. You are my user. Like, you know. General users, anyone. Like, if you have anything to do with LinkedIn, you you are my user. Any. Our our goal is to to target all the events. So yes. Eventually, we want to like you start with a small segment, 
but you keep an eye on the overall pie as well uh, as to like how big you want to go. So if you talk to a user, you try to understand like what category this user is in. So I mentioned like a few segments. Uh, then you also want to understand like at what stage of their career those users are, things like that. Uh, like which location they are in. So if they are from different locations, their motivations might be different. Um, the same for uh, my startup. So for example, uh, we had like one was very big segment for us was uh, women who were housewives. Um, they, because they were not super competitive, uh, but battle steps, it was sort of a fun game. So they really liked the small competition, which was not very overwhelming. Uh, and 85% of our user segment was um, that. So, you know, you have to identify where your product sticks the most, but you have to keep an eye on all the user segments. Uh, because, uh, especially for big companies, uh, the eventual goal is to, like, cater to everyone. Uh, in, in a startup, you can go really, really micro, um, but uh, as you grow bigger, hope I ans answered your question. Cool. Yeah, and some of the other things uh, as I was, uh, that are still I learned from my startup is you know how to make sense of the data. So dashboards, A/B test. These used to be my like daily morning ritual that I would wake up in the morning, go to Amplitude, see how the metrics are trending, uh, both in startup as well as in my current job. All the tools have become different. But the methodology, the kind of things you're looking for still remain the same. Um, some of the, you should be able to do some basic queries. Uh, I was able to do, uh, because uh, I was, because of my engineering background, uh, it still helps me right now. Um, so it, it just makes you faster. For example, some of the metrics, if you're doing some, any kind of analysis, there will be instances where you won't be able to get the data from these dashboards, in which case you need to go actually look for the data yourself and like figure it out. Uh, as PM, it's much faster if you can do it yourself rather than asking um, like other persons who are specialized uh, from analytics to do that. Uh, one thing I didn't learn at my startup, that's why this is grayed out, is the experimentation design. Uh, is to how to design uh, the experiments so that you get you can prove or disprove your hypothesis, uh, and that is what I learned at LinkedIn, and I realized that you know I should have done it back in my startup, uh, although on a small level, uh, but that experimentation design process is so helpful uh, right now, and the one thing it does for a product manager it makes you start makes you think from a hypothesis perspective and you know if you prove or disprove your hypothesis you still have some valuable output out of it unlike in a startup where um, if you have like good engineering team you can like ship so fast it's actually uh, the the urge is to just like build it and see you know what sticks so it's like throw it on the wall and see what sticks um, that's not uh, there at uh, linkedin so you actually have a much more rigorous process some more learnings uh, that I that I learned from my startup and use at LinkedIn. Learn to sell. As I mentioned in the beginning, you sell all the time, both in the startup as well as a product manager. So you sell to in the startup, you sell to investors, you sell to press, 
you sell to potential hires, you sell to your team members. Uh, in, as a PM, you sell to your team because you have to get buy-in from everyone. So you sell to your team, you sell to the partner teams because usually uh, if it's a complex organization, you will be touching other product areas. So you need to get their buy-in as well. You sell to execs. Um, eventually they'll sponsor the product um, or the feature or the project. So you learn to sell. It's a continuous learning that I still uh, think uh, I'm, you know, I'm still learning a lot of how to sell. Uh, one of the key components how we learn to sell is how to tell stories. Um, so definitely as aspiring PM, uh, you, should, you should try to see how you can craft and tell better stories. Focus on impact is another thing. Um, and impact has two, two aspects. One is quantitative, other is, uh, the second is qualitative. In both the cases, uh, when you are uh, working in a startup or you are working as a product manager, the goal is the eventual impact. Uh, so as a startup, you want to reach out to millions of users and you want to change their lives. Same thing applies as a product manager, uh, even at a like, bigger organization or a smaller organization. Um, so, and that's how you are evaluated. Um, any feature you build as a PM, uh, you eventually want to create the kind of impact. Uh, so that focus on impact is, um, is a, it helps you keep, uh, keep, you, uh, keep you from feature bloating, uh, which is a very common thing that happens, especially in startups. One thing that I, again, didn't learn as much uh, in my startup, which I'm learning a lot in my current role, is the leadership and collaboration piece. Um, and the reason being, uh, we didn't have to collaborate a lot. We were a small team of eight people, and we were usually, we will talk in the room. Everyone knows what's coming. Uh, you don't have to like write a lot of uh, like written communication or even verbal communication. There is not a little, not a lot to show in terms of like the traditional leadership, because being the co-founder and CTO, you are kind of the one who are like deciding where this direction is going, where the strategy is going, what features you want to build. Uh, so this is one thing that I'm learning in LinkedIn in uh, in a way um, better manner than uh, I did at startup. But this is something that you will use as a PM. So the only reason I included it here is, although I didn't learn it, uh, it it's, it's not transferred from the startup learnings, but this is something you need to have. This is a must have uh, if you want to succeed as a PM. Okay, uh, one more slide. This is the last slide that I wanted to talk about what I wish I had done more at the startup in terms of learning. So one thing which was immediately clear to me when I moved on, moved on to LinkedIn is the kind of discipline that they have, that the company has in terms of building any new products, any new features, uh, because of the process to get buy-ins, you actually have to make a business case. Uh, and it can be qualitative or quantitative, but you have to make that business case. And that introduces a certain rigor, uh, both in terms of analytics, um, as well as in uh, user research, that I really missed uh, at my startup. So. Um, we had a really high-performing team, as I said. Like we took pride in our like shipping cadence, weekly shipping cadence. So, if you had any idea, and we were just like, "Hey, let's go build it," and we would just go and like build it, 
um, without thinking whether it really makes sense or whether it will like lead to feature bloating. So this is one of the things that I wish I had done a little bit of more at the startup uh, so that we could have avoided some of the pains that we uh, encountered uh, later on. So with that, I guess I'm at the end of my presentation. Some advice uh, for you as you like move, um, like start exploring the product management path uh, as how to make the transition easier is to build stuff. I'm a builder at heart, so that's my number one advice. Uh, even if you can't build the, the technical aspects, uh, let's say you can't code, you can still prototype. You can go to Balsamic, uh, you can like buy a $100 license of Sketch and you can start building really beautiful prototypes. And that's how you develop your product sense. Uh, it's really useful. If you can code, that's brilliant. If you can't, uh, you can try having a co-founder who codes and then you know you start uh, learning the ins and outs of buildings that will help you in many ways. So one, I talked about product sense. It helps you develop that product sense. The other is like once you uh, like make that transition as a product manager, you can relate very well with the engineering team, and they will respect you way more uh, because you know you bring that to the table. Uh, the other advice is read, watch, follow. There are tons of good stuff and bad stuff about product management out there on the internet. So you need to be careful what you're like reading, watching, following, um, but definitely do that. Um, some of the good, uh, good ones that I follow myself, Ken Norton, First Round Capital um, has a blog and uh, you know, they send a newsletter every Monday. Um, brilliant stuff. Uh, product management, one of the key things is strategy. So Strategy uh, by Ben Thompson is again a really good uh, blog. Uh, then I mentioned that uh, YouTube series uh, by Y Combinator. Actually, I on Stanford, uh, so there is one by Y Combinator, one by Greylock. Um, you should just you know, watch those 15 into 30 videos and you'll be you know, much better equipped uh, as a product manager as to like how to scale products, how to you know, talk to users, uh, you know, all kinds of things, uh, they are there. But just go for the quality. Um, and you, you can keep discovering product uh, school blogs are again a really good place um, They have like some of the best videos I have seen on interviewing uh, one by uber PM. I'm forgetting uh, the name, but uh, that was again a really good one The third advice I have for aspiring product managers is look for products and by that I mean is you have a phone uh, just go to App Store Play Store and try like browsing through different products uh, usually iPhone has slightly higher quality of products in my opinion. That's only my opinion uh, So you know, but just keep looking for different products the products that you admire uh, And like try to figure out what what is it that makes that products? You know so successful or so special in your case and this may not be a like mass product So it doesn't have to be Instagram uh, or snapchat. It can be you know any any product that you love personally that solves for you your use case uh, but just try to break it down in terms of uh, what use case it's solving, uh, how is the UI designed to solve that use case, um, and it could even very well be a website. So I was um, back when I was trying to learn some of this, I went to Mint.com website, and it's one of the most efficient websites I have seen. Like you never, you you kind of before you know what you're doing, you are done with that stuff. So the way they ask for information, the onboarding is so smooth. 
so that's what like keep looking out for products that um, that catch your attention and that are really really smooth uh, so that you develop that product sense and prep for interviews the final one uh, because that's again key to like clear those interviews uh, happy to talk more uh, about like how to prep for interviews uh, but uh, you know two two key pieces here one is a book Cracking the PM interview, that's the hands down the best book. I'm sure uh, I see many smiling faces. Uh, so that's hands down the best book on uh, how to prepare for interviews. And second is mock interviews. So grab your friends, um, grab your friends who are PMs better. If not, just grab any friend um, and you know, ask them to do a mock interview for you. That's, that's going to be really, really helpful. With that, this is the end of my presentation. You can follow me on Twitter. This is how you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. And happy to answer any questions. Thanks for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.